0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Greg Chapman Show. This show is mainly about facilitation, but this time around, we're taking a slightly different tack. This time around, it's about coaching. We have a coach supervisor. On the show this time who's a master at his game and we shall be getting into the weeds about coaching approaches techniques tips and tricks today's guest is andrew matthews andrew is based in pretoria south africa and like i said is a coach supervisor and is also a personal development coach Uh, he's been coaching and supervising coaches for a while now almost a decade He is the past vice president and board member of Comensa, the recognized professional body for coaching and mentoring in South Africa. Andrew is also the current secretary of the South African Transactional Analysis Association. He's prepared for and competed in the Ironman South Africa and Andrew co-hosts the Coaching Reflections YouTube channel with Alex Van Oostveen. I hope I've got that right. Andrew and Alex also present regular clubhouse conversations on coaching supervision and coaching reflections. To find out more or to work with Andrew, please visit his website, www.evokeunlimited.net. I'll be talking a bit about that later on. Welcome to the show, Andrew.
1: Thanks, Greg. Happy to
0: be here. Ironman to coaching. That's that's quite a journey. So what's in that journey for you? And wow, I mean, Ironman, respect anyone who's trained in the Ironman. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a very long event and it's you don't really understand it until you actually are in the middle of it.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, and so I'm not sure that I missed the question.
0: Sorry, I'll repeat. So from Ironman to coaching, you know, what's that journey been like and how's it been for you?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I've never really sort of paralleled the two. They're both a journey of dedication and needing to make sure that you are committed and keep it ticking over. Um, so with, with Ironman, that's obviously you need to be able to have the conditioning to get through all of the extreme events. Um, and with coaching, it's it's a practice. So needing to make sure that you're keeping your, your bum in the coaching seat, so to speak, and your and reflective practice, making sure that you're looking at what is working, what isn't working and um, keeping it alive. I think when you when you keep these things Alive, they don't, um, it stops them from becoming the monster under the bed that you're too scared to look at.
0: I understand that there are some overlaps between the two. If you have
2: Venn diagram, there's going to be some overlaps.
0: And maybe this is a completely out there question, but which out of the two has touched you the most? Which has been the more transformative an experience for you? Or, yeah, I'll just go with that slightly difficult question.
2: Yeah. Do you know, I think that the, there's an interesting thing here. So I, before I did Man, I, I had done some of the half men men events so they they call them Ironman 70.3 so it's all of the all of the distances but just half um about half and the very first one I did with for um in South Africa I was I trained very hard I had a I had a triathlon coach that I was working with and I was very dedicated to, to all of that and I when I finished the event, there's this interesting, after the race, there's a, an athlete's village and you can only get there by crossing a bridge. So you have to, after doing this event, you have to climb stairs, cross the bridge, which which is over the finish line and come down some stairs. So it's quite interesting watching some of the athletes try and go up and down these stairs. And I remember walking across the bridge and it hit me that I'd actually finished and, some, and all of my work had paid off and I felt quite tearful coming down the stairs into the athletes into the, the finisher's village and it was that was quite uh, quite an interesting experience but i didn't have such a significant movement in the completing the, the full ironman i think that i had already created the the expectation mm-hmm. that i can do something and then so that's kind of feeling tearful after that event was significant. It was almost seeing like the stars align, you know, all of the the, the training, the diet, the saying no to parties and that kind of thing, all being worthwhile. And then when I look at the, my journey in coaching, there's just been so many, so many moments of personal transformation exploration in my my own work being coached being mentored and being supervised but also being the gift of being present and witnessing others do really significant work it's transformational I mean when somebody it's when you when somebody is doing work of that nature everybody's doing work was not, maybe without knowing it.
0: So, if at all there is, is there? I'm going to ask you this question and jump to another question. Give you some time to think about it. Is there something that you fall back on from your Ironman days of training while you're coaching? Something it did it instill in you? Something? Is there a reserve that you go back to, or is there some lessons that you go back to? And before you answer that question, I just want to, you know, was slightly different turn. Or then say, how many hours did you train for the Ironman, and what was it like?
2: So finally, I think I trained harder for the half than I did for the full. And I can't remember the exact um, trainings, but there's, there's only, there's only one day off. And even that is kind of like. 24 it's 24 hours off and it straddles two days so it doesn't always feel like you've got a, a full day off um, and it's always doing something so getting time in the swimming pool making sure that you're training with people that are pu- pushing you that's that's a bit of a difficult thing to try and nail down um, and then when you get to the extreme ends of the, the blocks when you're getting the distance is trying to find a long enough run that keeps you entertained mm-hmm. And if you're not doing an organized event, it's entertained and sustained because then you have to like run from, you know, convenience store to convenience store to get um, some sustenance on the way. And then similarly with cycling, with the, you know, the Ironman cycle is 180 kilometers. So it's rare to find a route that you can cycle that is safe and long enough to keep you from not going crazy of doing, you know, multiple laps Mm. of something. So there there was many, many hours in that. And I, I think maybe, in that is maybe the answer to the the first question is about trusting a process so in the coaching the coaching when i'm in the coaching seats or even so when i'm in the mentoring or the supervising seats it's it's knowing that we're engaged in a process and if things feel like they're getting a bit rocky or i don't know if there's uncertainty about what's actually happening at hand it's trusting that this is a process and that uncertainty is something to be curious about it's, it's not necessarily a failing of anybody
0: trusting the process that's yeah I mean, I'm I'm just looking at you know I haven't I haven't trained ever for an Ironman, but I have coached and um, I know what you're saying. that sometimes, when you feel like, okay, what next, or how are we going to move from here? And then you trust in the process, which also kind of dictates that you trust in your coach. So trust has a has a big role to play of that to get you to move along the relationship or in the Ironman from point A to point B. Yeah. yeah you also mentioned being mentored what's the role that a mentor has a mentor has played in your in your life overall and more specifically if you get that down to coaching what's the role that a mentor has played if if you want to take her or his name that would be nice and how has a mentor you know shaped you into a question uh, into in, into coaching uh, so that that would be very nice too
2: yeah so in the coaching world there the, the terms that are used for the sort of professional um, hats, um, can get a little bit um, foggy at times. So in terms of in my credentialing process of uh, when I'm jumping the loops to get my my designations, mm. you you get mentored to be able to demonstrate competence. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm credentialed with the, the ICF, the International Coaching Federation. And at each level you you will you will find a mentor or mentors that you'd like to work with. And their the agenda there is to to partner with you to see how are you demonstrating the core competencies of of coaching at those levels. Um, So there's a specific agenda attached to that. But then you know, sort of separate to that, there's the more holistic understanding of mentors.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so people that are partnering with you in your greater journey of moving forward that have ex- expertise in themselves that I'm um, uh, potentially looking to emulate or learn from or um, evolve on. So if I'm, interestingly enough, you're asking about names and there's one person in particular that, um, that comes to, uh, two people in particular that comes to mind. Um So there's Colin Brett who, um, is uh, the owner of Coaching Development. Um, it's a, a UK-based uh, coach training provider they also train uh, coach supervisors and also managers as coaches that got quite a few programs so he he has mentored me in my credentialing journeys but also has played mentor to me in an unofficial capacity so I've I've never specifically um, contracted with him for being that sort of meta mentor but um, he's been in my my journey um, for a long time right from the beginning actually stepping into the coaching world Um, and then the the other person is Karen Pratt and I know you you know Karen yeah, Patch as well. Absolutely. Um, so she was my original coach trainer. And she was, so also was coaching development. Um, she's the, the trainer that's uh, positioned in South Africa and my ongoing learning with her is in transactional analysis mm-hmm. so she's mentored me in my credentialing journey but also in my my more wider scope of integrating my knowledge of transactional analysis and becoming more of a, a coach and a supervisor that I want to be.
0: Colin Brett you said right BRT yeah yeah Karen Pratt. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Karen,
0: um, Karen, Karen's absolutely amazing. I, I'm not aware of Colin, but I've met Karen online, of course. And yes, she's absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. And 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 I'm sure so is Colin too. What's the you know one or two takeaways? that have really stuck with you from your mentors. So whether, you know, you're, you're giving, as the way I understand at ICF required you at least some time back to give a recording to your mentors of, of course, with the permission of the coachee. So that could be one or either that interaction or, or any other interaction. What's the one thing that a mentor has asked you a question or something that the mentor has told you that has really stayed with you and up to your game, up to your coaching game?
2: Yeah. Um, so the, the immediate thing that comes to mind is this phrase: "contact before contract." Contact and, before contract. Okay. Yeah. And this is really underscoring the importance of relationship mm-hmm. in the work that I do. And it's the it's the quality of the relationship that enables really valuable and transformational work to happen. Um, and that message I got many many times over the years from both Colin and Karen, and um, is contact before contract
0: and within contact what you know what makes the your initial contact the ongoing contacts really set the relationship up for success
2: that contact is about it's when you come into the room so to speak and you sit down, and it's the sort of letting go of the pressure or expectation of what needs to be done. So it's the letting go of the breath that you didn't know that you were holding. And it's it's the within that it's inviting people to show up as themselves. For people that are new to that, um, it's often a learning experience. So it takes a couple of times of coming into the room and having the contact to realize I can be who I am. In this time now, I don't have to be defensive. I don't. I can be vulnerable, and I can be courageous. And then that. So that's something that I try to bring as an experience, right from first con, uh, right from first contact. So you know, if somebody's first contact with me is via an email or a WhatsApp or. Even if it's uh these days now being able to meet people live again, um, it's trying to bring in that, that experience, but then it's, it's present at every meeting. Um, so there's a, it builds a momentum the foundation
0: okay if i if i were to take a little bit of a you know, shift gears over here and mm. so you've been coaching for a long time now and you've been not just coaching for a long time but you've been it's been you know constant it's not like you taken a break or gone away come back but it's been almost a decade in that decade of yours that you've been almost a decade uh, that you've been coaching mm. what are some turning points or some key points for you highlights or lowlights even you know what i mean is that And and I think both are equally important. So whichever one you'd like to talk about. So what I mean by a highlight is you've been coaching, coaching, coaching. And and as we all learn that, you know, there's a learning curve and then the learning curve plateaus, right? And you're at it, you're at it. And then, you know, you feel, okay. I'm not getting anywhere, and that feeling kind of stays. But after that, if you stay there long enough, you know the, it kind of takes off from there. So that could be one of the highlights. You now, how you know what what was your journey like? You plateaued, and then what got you to the next level of coaching? And and, in, um, and I'm also you know the, one of the reasons I'm asking this is if somebody's viewing this, there's a lot of coaches out there, and you know I'm talking to a few coaches right now, and it seems that once you've been in the game for a bit and you're doing it and doing it and doing it, then after some time, there's a bit of a plateau that a lot of people are saying they're rich and they're wanting to take their game to the next level and not knowing how to, and then just getting there into the doldrums. So I was just wondering, so that could be one. A low light could be that, you know, you thought it was coaching, you got into coaching, you were coaching for a long time, but then a kind of a dip happened and you're saying, well, I don't know if I really want to do this or not. And then you're still coaching. So, you know, how did you get out of that dip? And how did you get back to really loving what you did? So either, either ways you want to yeah. take it or anything else, which has really yeah. stood out for you in your coaching journey, you know, something that really changed the way, let's say something simple, how you ask questions, profound, simple, but profound. How do you ask questions or how do you approach the contact or the contract or the ongoing session?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would like to answer both ends of that because I think it's important to acknowledge that there's there's value in when things aren't going so well as as well as when things are going great. So if I start with a, a low light, there was a piece of work that was, this was quite early on in my in my career as a coach. It um, was a piece of work uh, that I was doing an intervention with a, um, a small team in a, a really r- relatively large organisation, but it, the the office that we, that they were positioned was small in comparison and they were struggling with um, some t- team dynamics so um, i presented a two-pronged approach so doing a piece of um, training so talking about transactional analysis um, models and and how to use them in, in real life um, and then following that up with some coaching to um, team coaching Looking at how they are integrating those the wisdom from those TA models into what they're experiencing, and the this project had a great start and was it was very strongly supported by. by HR and then also the um, the senior manager of this team. And the initial start was quite good. You could see the rockiness in the team quite early, and you could see that they were starting to make some shifts, uh, which was which was great to see. And then all of a sudden things started to stagnate and start to roll backwards. And what I only found out too late was that that senior manager that had been such a great support to this had been replaced by mm. somebody, and that. That person was bringing in a new management style. So that administrative contracting and roles and responsibilities contracting that I'd done with the multi-parties um had all of a sudden fallen apart, at least from the one foot on the on the triangle. And what ended up happening is I was feeling really frustrated because we were stagnating and we needed additional approval from from the new senior management to to move forward. And it was just making, because there was this unanswered question, it was making things even more difficult for the team. And so eventually through, um, through my own supervision, so I, in difficult times, I will always reach out, reach out to my coach supervisors and then um, engaging with the HR, I, I took a step back from the work. And said that this isn't serving, this doesn't seem to be serving anybody. So let's, let's put a full stop in this work and, and leave it be. And so it was a bit of a low light and, and it felt like there was some unfinished business, but realizing then through through supervision that the unfinished business, there was a significant portion of this that I wasn't in control of. So it was, it was, it would would have been reckless of me to try and um, push it even harder because then I would have been trying to rescue the situation. So in that moment, it was interesting for me to be. Um, to take that step back to realize that this, my intentions might be good, but actually I'm rescuing, and rescuing is just going to make it more difficult for all parties down the line. Um, and you know this, um, the, the analogy of um, in an airplane, uh, when, the, when the oxygen masks fall, you have to put your own oxygen mask on right. first before you help anybody else you have to come you come first um so that was the low lights. yeah and I, the highlights
0: I think, it... uh, so before you go there, you come first sure. i think that's an important statement that a lot of us coaches need to remember we get into the relationship and we're putting the trainee and training over there, but it's also important to listen to and be aware of what are my drivers, what's important to me, where does my respect lie. I also hear you say, and you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, I also hear you say this, as a coach, it is very important to not just be aware of great coaching skills or rather not just be a good coach in terms of great coaching skills between the coachee and the coach but also a good coach would have a couple of other skills one of which could possibly be that the coach needs to have his or her year to the the ground to pick up the organizational dynamics and of course i'm talking about this in terms of coaching you know within an organization and not of course you know outside an organization uh b2c but this is more b2b a model that I'm talking about so that i I'm picking up that that's an important part what are the what are the changing dynamics within the organization is what I'm taking away also yeah
2: very much so um and that when you think of um so it's really easy to think of one-on-one coaching when there's just two two parties that need to make a, a mm-hmm. contract but when you're when you're coaching into an organization where there's there's management structures there's hr there's um, accounts um there's um the, like you're saying, the external pressures on the industry as well, as we all know, often when an industry goes into distress, the first thing that gets cut is, is the, the support mechanisms and or the yeah. external support mechanisms in a company. Um so when you, that was a big learning for me in that, in that low light yeah. is that I can't just, I can't just feel like I'm cooned now in the safety of the, the contracting that I'd done right it's realizing that all elements of contracting on the multi-party contracting are potentially going to change and it's um, to keep to keep an eye on the potential
0: so it's not just that contracting that's gonna hold me in good stead but sometimes beyond
2: that you know so yeah very much so recontracting is like is the most some of the most significant work
0: and I think anyone starting out can easily slip into that. And I and I think seasoned coaches could also easily slip into that. You know, you take it for granted, taking it for granted, you're doing this day in and day out, and you're beginning to focus on just that one one two-way relationship and then boom, something's changed at the yeah. systemic level, maybe priorities or people or something yeah. of the sort. Interesting. And yeah. and you were also mentioning your um,
1: highlight.
2: Yeah, so it was it was great to hear how you position that about the plateau, and then how to kick things into a next level. Um, so for myself, it was i had gone a couple of years as a coach, and then um, the opportunity was to um, engage in training to become a coach supervisor. And so coach supervisor is it's a it's a practice in its own, many things may look like coaching, but there's a, a wider scope of the the psychological mindedness that has to happen in that training um, to become a coach supervisor, and for myself, engaging in that training, it seemed to—I didn't realise I may have had some blinkers on. Um, and going through that training, it helped me realize that there was blinkers here and gave me some of the tools of how to start at least widening them, if not occasionally being able to take off my blinkers. And so worked, as much as I was there to be trained to become a coach supervisor, I also saw that my coaching practice was going to deeper levels um, and mm. getting more more transformational results um, right. from, from the knock-on effects of that supervision training.
0: I'm also writing this down. so. When you, so let's just say you were and are a great coach, a personal development coach, a great coach one, and then you became a coach supervisor. Now, when you're a great coach, I'm assuming both your skill and your will are up there. You want to do it, you know how to do it. When you become a coach supervisor, again, I'm just stretching my assumptions. A little. I'm saying you want to do it and oh, I'm going to for this oh that's a nice thing to do supervisor so your will is up there and was the journey or was the step let's not say the journey was this step when you when you became a code supervisor what was it um hey and you are pretty much gonna have the same skills or similar skill set or I can draw upon a bunch of skills that I know and you did and it worked it smoothly or mm, it was pretty surprising saying, "Hey, I really like doing it. Wanted to know, but at a skill level, I think I needed to, you know, grab hold of, you know, a few more skills."
2: Yeah, definitely the latter. I think it was initially very, um, very tempting to say, "Oh, this is just coaching a coach," and then realizing it's not that, and then having to grapple with myself that it, when I saying oh when I do this as a coach it's doing this it's it's getting this result or it's for this mm-hmm. objective but when I do this and it looks similar it's not the same thing in coach supervision and it took me a while and it took a lot of time of sitting in the supervisor's seat working with coaches mm. to start to see the nuance of things and to then be able to solidify my approach and my practice um, as, a, as a coach supervisor.
1: If
0: I would." to just break that down to a skill level and say or even an approach level what are the three things that you now looking back realize you had to pick up a quick grab bag of tricks or skills or deeper approaches or mindsets at whatever level in order to do justice to a court supervisor
2: it was I think the biggest thing is making sure that, you, that you're doing it. Um, it's, it. It doesn't help just sitting and thinking and theorizing about it and reading about it. Um, you know, it's reading other people's accounts of it will only get you so far. You need to go and experience it, you know, engage in that, uh, what's it, David Kolb's um, cycle of development. Yeah. Um, and, and there's that, that transformational line that goes part, halfway through it. You need to be in that cycle to start to integrate and to to become a coach supervisor. So you're not just doing coach supervision, you're becoming a coach supervisor.
0: If I got my David Colbright, so from con, you're moving from abstract conceptualization to active experimentation, something like that.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, you got the you got the language a bit better than me, but um, it's the it's when you go from a a concrete experience into that um, reflections phase, and when you're going from the reflection into the next one, when you start to extrapolate patterns and meanings, that's when your neuroscience is showing us that we go from one part of our brain to another part of our brain, um, and that's the transformational line. Um, And then when you start to take those extrapolations into how are you going to experiment with it, and then you have the next concrete experience. So then the spi- it doesn't just cycle on itself; it starts to spiral up from yeah. itself.
0: Yeah, and and David Kolb is. Um something I use a lot of in my training programs. And I'm quite surprised to say mm. you're also learning. Actually, yeah, surprised, but I think it's a uh, no-brainer that you could actually use Kolb in a coaching environment. So is it is there any reading you can share with our viewers that, um, you know, we can, we can talk about that later. You, can, uh, you know, we can get back on that. Um, or is it something that, you know, you knew Kolb, you were coaching, and you kind of connected the dots. So how, how did it pan out for you?
2: no it kind of worked the other way around so um was doing coaching Mm. and then colp came a bit later actually colp was part of my um transactional analysis training and so as as much as david colp's work is not ta it's a great framework um as a a doorway into understanding more things so you know all these models they kind of linked together to make a scaffolding but um when I hold that in mind as a coach. I hold it in the sub, um, in the sort of the subtext or the back of my mind. Mm. Um, so I might not use it expressly unless I feel like it's specifically going to be useful. And the client and I contract with the client, would it be useful for me to explain something to help at this moment? But usually it's the it's, you know, it's those lenses and filters that I'm thinking and hearing and speaking through rather. Um, mm. when, I'm, when I'm coaching,
0: and if it's okay with you, if you could just. Just give us an example of how you use Kolb's uh, cycle in a coaching to whatever extent, even yeah. if you're covering all the phases, four phases or not. And I'm yeah. just talking about the basic, yeah. uh, I'm not talking about the combinations,
1: yeah. but just the basic
2: things. Sure. So the, the thing that I, the most basic thing that I use is, um, so Kolb lays that uh, that cycle over um, a rubric or, or two yeah. planes, an X and a Y axis. And I, and the... So on the horizontal, the one extreme is um, the preference is talking about thinking and the other extreme the preference is doing. And that's the stuff that I use the most often is I, I'm listening out for what my clients' preferences. is mm-hmm. um, and often people experience stuckness that they then bring to coaching because they're stuck on one end of those extremes. Um so they're they're they do some really skilled thinking about context or things that they want to be different, but they're not completing the cycle. So they're not putting their thinking into action. So so as a coach, I might approach that differently and be more um, more challenging about how are they moving into action.
0: So you're listening. So you've got this model in your mind: so you're thinking, doing, and you're listening out for the language of the client. Okay. So this is what I thought about, and this is how I'm thinking about it, and this is where I'd like to go, and I've been making some plans, etc. And then you're also listening and for what's not being said. So if there is an absence of action this is what i did this is what i did this is what i did then you are saying, okay then that's where you could direct the conversation um or vice versa if you're hearing this is what i didn't you know and this is what i did next and then this is what i did next and i'm getting stuck with it and and so you're listening for that but you're also listening for what's not being said and then you could redirect the conversation there. yeah
2: I, I, I... yeah yeah it's almost like if you if you have the, you imagine them as um like a scoreboard mm-hmm. so you're um, you're listening through uh to your, your client and you say oh i'm 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 hearing 10 10 pieces of evidence that shows that they're doing thinking really well but i'm only seeing one tick next to action
0: nice
2: so there's a there's a there's an absence Right. of action and it can work the other side as well you know people just i keep doing this and it's not changing like yeah well i can see 20 ev- 20 pieces of evidence of you doing but i'm not seeing how you're reflecting and thinking and looking for patterns or, or developing it right Um. so that's yeah so those those kinds of approaches
0: i, I think this is really amazing and I say amazing because a few reasons here. One, you've, you, you know, you've pulled out a nice model which would otherwise be used in training and it's pretty apparent. So cold is talking about learning, right? And it should be, but a lot of us haven't thought about it. I'm sure a lot of people may be using it. I haven't thought about it. Um, so that's new for me, thank you very much. Even though I knew cold used him a lot, but it's all training, training, training. And now I'm also learning from you. Hey, you can use it in coaching, boom, nice. And secondly, um, you know, I find it amazing because it's giving me a process saying hey you know what data process and earlier like you said follow the process and put your faith in the process and I also see interesting evidence of that and those two dots really connecting and it's kind of telling me a little bit about you and the coaching process
1: so yeah
0: so what I hear you saying is as a coaching supervisor get in and do it I hear that I hear you talk about cold what else did you do or or if I pose a question differently what else could one who has been coaching for a while getting into a coach supervisor do in order to become, you know, in order to fully take up that role
2: to fully take up the supervisor role yeah. so having supervision on your supervision is mm. really important so that in my own experience that was really important and also creating or creating curating a, a body of peers that you that you trust and you can mm. really get into meaty meaningful conversations and grapple with things um, so you're helping each other climb the ladder um, often I mean if you're I have that with my supervisors I'm, I'm really close with my supervisors and I get that there. But there's something slightly different in the nature of the conversation when you're having a collegial conversation um, when there might not be somebody who is contracted to sit in the practitioner's seat. Um, it's almost easier to invite an emergent conversation in that space. But it's not to say that emergent conversations don't happen in contracted supervision because they certainly do.
0: It's like the yin and the yang, structured and unstructured. You know, So, yeah, yeah structured and emergent. This is good stuff because you've given us a couple of ways, in fact, I see a lot of coaches, I face it myself, I am finding it difficult to get out of that plateau, let's just say, or I'm finding it difficult mm-hmm. to become a better coach is what I hear a lot of people say. And what I hear you saying is removing the focus from the I, I need to build skills, I need to ask my questions differently. So removing the focus, because that can be a little overwhelming. You know, what do I do differently? How do I go into that? And sometimes, because of that sense of overwhelm, a lot of people are, you know, not being able to bring their complete presence to the conversation. And I'm hearing you saying a couple of things which are getting people to almost, you know, change their focus and say, hey, you know what, there's other ways of doing it. Don't just focus on yourself. Get a good uh, group of mentors, get a good group of uh, peers who can discuss this. I think it's, it's important at at both levels, and I and I don't know why, but the but the word the Buddhist word sangha comes to my mind, which which Buddha is saying, you know, dhar, Buddha Dharma Sangha. He says that's important to lead a good life, you know. So the Buddha's teachings, Buddha Dharma, uh, you know, Buddha's and following the Buddha, his teachings, the Dharma. You know, so following the Buddha, following his teachings, and the sangha, the sangha as in the collective that you're a part of. So for the monks mm-hmm. and all, it's you know the monastery or whatever else. But it's important for that sangha over here. It's important for that group over here. And 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 I hear you nicely delineate the two, saying at two levels: is the mentor and the peer group. What you've also, what I'm also taking as a, getting as a takeaway is that process. Focus on the process, and that's going to kind of leapfrog you from there. So yeah. thanks, thanks, Vishal.
2: Yeah. What what really strikes me hearing you reflect back, Um, what's been said is the the objective of all of that is integration so that uh, this is something that i've always loved about engaging in the transactional analysis journey is that the initial steps are quite structured of how you get into it so you do a transactional one-on-one and then you go into a foundation year with a trainer and the focus is you So it's almost like your first client is yourself so that you're learning the models, you're learning about yourself. And that is the most significant thing. And cracking through those plateaus is what's it about me that's making me stuck here? And how how do I go deeper with myself to integrate more so that I can be more potent and more valuable for my clients going forward?
0: I think the time is right to ask you the question. I've I've been meaning to ask you this for, for some time now in the conversation. I've been saying, hey, hold on a second. We're going to come around. To that, but I think this is a perfect segue. Transaction analysis, you've been you've been mentioning it a few times. I know it's a large part mm-hmm. of not just your coaching, but who you are and you know your worldview. Yeah. And I also know that it takes a lot of study to really go deep and begin using transaction analysis. However, is there something that someone not having too much exposure to transactional analysis could use a model or an approach from TA in coaching and if you could just give us one line about what TA is to you it doesn't have to be the you know exact bernian definition mm-hmm. uh, but what TA is just one line on that and is there something from TA what do you use a lot of from TA and what so i think there's a bunch of questions in there gosh so what so <laughs> <do we> just <laughs> simplify this what's TA to you, I think that's the first one. Uh, what do you use a lot of from TA Transaction Analysis? And what would you recommend? Somebody who knows a little bit, starting out into coaching, could, you know, may not do a complete full blown course on TA and then start up, but could quickly pick it off a net or a book, go ahead and use in coaching, provided, of course, the person's, have, you know, had some experience with coaching and stuff like that. Yeah, so I'll leave those yeah, yeah. three
2: questions with you. Okay, <laughs> I, might, I might need some help along the way on, rem- on reminding, remembering the, the questions. Um, So so TA for me, you said the name, Um, so it uh, was st- founded by by Eric Byrne, who was a, a Canadian-born psychiatrist um, who then nationalized as an American and wanted to find quick roots. To cure when working with um, uh, his patients, and within that there is there's this for me, within that is this underlying belief that people can change, and so that's what I take out for myself as the most um, significant thing out of transactional analysis: is that people can change. Since Burn, um, there was initially a, a group of people around him, very clever folks that would meet on a regular basis and brainstorm. So what I was talking earlier about that peer group, that's my sense of what they had at that time. Is that this peer group um, and it wasn't necessarily all psychiatrists i believe that there were people from all walks of life who were interested in development would meet on a weekly um weekly meeting to discuss things and out of this came a collection of models and one of the one of the phrases that ca- comes from burn himself was that if you can't draw it that's not going to be a, um, it's not valuable or something like that i can't remember his exact words so for the vast majority of the concepts that you come across in transsexual analysis it, there's a diagram that goes with it the- <laughs> And what what makes it so amazing then is that at times when it is uh, appropriate to explain a piece of theory, because you can do a little diagram and you can explain something that technically is sound and has like masses of uh, research behind it. You can explain it in in 30 seconds and somebody can get enough of a gist of the model to use it as a framework to catapult their own work. So that's that's what why what TA um, why TA is so important for me. Um, one of the key objectives of transactional analysis was um, autonomy. So this is the the idea that you are driven in yourself you have your own volition to move forward and, and live into your own life um, so these pieces of theory is looking at where where do people uh, get stuck mm-hmm. and um, at some stage in, in TA's history it, it, they also brought in an appreciative approach so it's not only where are people getting stuck but also what does what really enables people to to live into their lives and to experience and grow their own autonomy in their, their life so that's um, that's what TA is for me Things, and what's something
0: that you use a lot yeah. Oh, yeah
2: yeah so the things that i use a lot the two is the theory of contracting mm. so there there's three levels of contracting it's the administrative it's the professional and the psychological so administrative is is looking at the the nitty-gritty things we're going to meet at this location at this time or on this platform at this time it's your responsibility to oh, no we're, let's move into the next level but there's um this is how much it's going to cost this is how invoicing is going to happen Um, if the meetings are recorded this is how it's going to be stored it's all those administrative things it's the top Mm -hmm. level it's the stuff that's really easy to have like a tick box Mm -hmm. um, exercise with but it's still never set in stone so changes can always happen then the next level is the the professional level and that's talking about roles and responsibilities Mm -hmm. so it's um, i'm the coach as a coach. These are my responsibilities. This is how I'm going to show up with you. I'm held to um, a code of ethics. Um, I'm in ongoing supervision with, my, with, with uh, in my own continuous professional development. Those are roles and responsibilities. And then the, the deepest level is the psychological level. And this is where if there's something going to go wrong, this is where it's most likely to go wrong. And it's where we're looking at how do we best work together. And you can speak to this in the beginning. It's important to speak to this in the beginning of a piece of work, but you can't get a clear picture right up front. It has to be experienced. So back to through that cold cycle, you need to be going through the cycles to be adding more color and more depth to that psychological level of the contract. As a coach supervisor, the vast majority of the troubles that coaches experience is something starting to hook or to break down in that psychological level of the contract. So it's useful for me to use that piece of theory to reflect on my own work. How am I setting up? ethical work? And how am I protecting and maintaining the, the psychological level of the work that I'm engaging with? Um, and then as a coach supervisor, I'm thinking through that that lens to help figure out where things might be getting stuck If if the question at hand is a stuckness did not expect to speak so much on that. So, so that's the one model. Um, it's the contracting. The other one that uh, that I use a lot is uh, the drama triangle. So, very briefly, the drama triangle has three points. Um, it's looking at the rescuer role, the victim role, and the persecutor role. So, it's uh, what this model. Is showing is that when conversation might not be going, interactions might not be going so well. There's a chance that you're like, well, you are likely to be embodying one of those roles oh. on the drama triangle, and the and the titles are quite um, illustrative of, of what's what's happening. So yeah. it's the rescuer, the victim, and the persecutor, and that and that was by um, Steve Carleton.
0: Yeah, this this is really exciting, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how do you use the drama triangle. Uh, tell me if I got this right. So the drama triangle is also saying that for the most part of our life, we, especially when things are not going to happen, we're either finding ourselves to be the rescuer in the situation where I'm trying to come back and come in and resolve the conflict, get, you know, save people, or I'm being the victim and saying, hey, uh, this is what's happening to me. And why is this happening to me? What has always happened to me? So you have the rescuer, the victim, and you have the persecutor. The persecutor is saying, you know, what? I'm going to get you, I'm coming on, you know, steamrolling and stuff like that. So that's, that's, that's what this triangle is about. So does this apply to like all of life, even when things are going well, or is it, or is it just when things aren't going too well? And, and how do you use yeah, this in, in coaching yeah, now?
2: Yeah, yeah, so the drama triangle is talking about when things are not going well. And then later on, um, as a, uh, so the drama triangle was originally put forward by Steve Cartman. And then somebody by the name of A.C. Choi, proposed a winner's, winner's triangle, triangle yeah. so it was reframing those roles into positive roles
1: mm-hmm.
2: um so yeah so it was re it was seeing that there's a flip side to the coin and how do you how do you move into authentic ways of being with others right and then it was also then later uh, proposed by die salters as the winner's circle mm-hmm. so trying to step have a greater separation from the triangle being like quite angular as a, as a depiction and the winner's circle showing that there can be movement between the roles so if we think of a dynamic which might be a complex but it's going well the chances are that people in that dynamic are dancing between multiple types of modes they're not right. just embodying one of those modes and um, so that's that's why there is a circle i get that
0: yeah the drama yeah. circle oh that's interesting and and how do you use it if you can give us a sh- small example how do you use it in sure. coaching? How do you- take sure. people through yeah. the different positions or not. It's, uh...
1: How, how do you use that?
2: Yeah. So again, it depends on how um, who I'm working with. So uh, when I'm working as a coach, I won't, more often than not, I'm not using it explicitly with my clients mm-hmm. unless I've contracted to, to do a teach. And at that point, I'll, you know, figuratively take off my coaching hat and they'll do like a five minute teach and then put the coaching hat back on. But um, whereas a, as a coach supervisor, at times I will um, expressly name a model that I'm thinking through if the client isn't forthcoming with some model to hang their thinking on. So with but generally what I'm doing there is I'm I'm checking with the story that I'm hearing. Am I seeing evidence for this person embodying one of the roles on the drama triangle? And if I'm seeing that, it's starting to give some evidence about what might be their their script beliefs, their you know the the limiting beliefs that they've grown up with about who they are and how they can be in the world.
0: What you're saying is first you take permission. I'm gonna remove my coaching hat, I'm gonna go more into a little bit of a tell hat or a trainer hat and you tell them about this or bring this out and then you're getting back as a coach with them and also getting them to identify or you're identifying and reflecting the different so what's what's coming out Are, are they stuck or are they speaking from a place of let's say the rescuer mode or the persecutor mode or whatever and then you're going you're going deeper and saying okay so what are the underlying beliefs which are giving rise to those modes
2: yeah so i what i'm always very particular about is if i offer these things it's an offering i'm not i'm not diagnosing and i'm not telling somebody that you are doing right. this it's offering it as a framework and saying let's let's potentially use this as a framework for your thinking what what do you what's the dynamics that you see and then and then like you were saying it's then looking for the opportunities to ask the deeper questions so what happens for you when when that when you you see yourself stepping into the victim role or what can also be a really exciting thing is you you juxtapose the the drama triangle and the winner's circle and you say okay you you're noticing for yourself that you're embodying one of the drama triangle modes how are you when you're embodying the winner's circle mode so you're and then you say so when you're in this mode what can you tell yourself when you're stuck in the in the negative place to of how to get out of it um so that that's when you pose it expressly as a framework to use um but what i'm doing before all of that before i jump in and and offer an opportunity to teach it using it as a as a filter seeing if there's enough evidence and i've got a hunch that they uh, might be dancing on the drama triangle um to then see if it's worthwhile to to offer it.
0: I think some really great questions there and I think the magic sauce is the questions. Have you do 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 you come across people who gets you know stuck in one role in the drama triangle and when you offer them to move to another position um, find it very difficult to how do you make that move happen what's been your experience with that and then what happens for the person making that move whether it's within the triangle whether it's from the drama triangle to a winner's triangle or the winner's circle how does that work
2: yeah so if there's a consistent stumbling block And the person is unable to move out of that drama triangle mode, which is an ineffective mode. There's a chance that that might point that the person needs something like a therapy intervention. So right at the beginning of my um, contracting with the new clients, when I'm talking about the roles and responsibilities, I also talk about the, the scope of what I will do as a coach or as a coach supervisor. When I, depending on which hat I'm being contracted to wear. And what I will always name is through this process, we our personal stuff might get shifted and they might turn out to be something that's deeper for you to work on. And if we see that um, showing its head, either of us sees it then we'll name it and we'll have a discussion about what you want to do with it at that point so the potential topic of conversation is put on the table so that if we later in the in the journey we see that we keep getting stuck on on a victim role then i can because the topic is on the table from the beginning i feel confident to say it seems like we're getting stuck here and i'm wondering what's really happening um, and then we can enter into another discussion about what that that person wants to do with it often not often sometimes just by saying hey there's a lot of evidence here what's really going on can be enough of a wake up to make the shift but in other times it's the person says you know what i wouldn't have seen it then but now, you know, a few months down the line, I see that what would be really valuable for me now is to, to put a pause on the coaching and find a therapist to work with for a couple of months. Yeah,
1: that,
0: that, that's just fantastic because you're also giving us an indicator. When is it time for therapy? You're saying person's getting stuck, unable to move. You, you've come at it from different ways, is unable to move. It's possible that it's time for therapy. So that's one. The other thing I see you saying is that when the person is demonstrating repeated behavior, you could also use use the drama triangle as a mirror saying hey you know what sentence one sentence two sentence three sentence four i'm also like you know just piggybacking on a theme of yours saying making a process out of it saying hey you know what so there are 10 sentences over here that i've noticed you use over the last whatever x time and if if you take a look at these sentences and if somebody else was using these sentences where would you pick that person right and so I think that that would
2: be a good way. That was a nice reframe of what you just did then because you you were taking it out of the, when you said this, what do you think about yourself? You're taking it into a meta perspective and you're saying, when you hear somebody else say this, right. what would you where would you pin that? And that's quite a safe way of people doing sort of evidence-based work without feeling like that they're trying to uh, persecute themselves in that right. moment.
0: This show's not about me, of course, but I was just thinking maybe it helps our viewers. What I've done is, Sometimes i just cut strips up of their sentences, you know, written sentences quickly done a cutout, of about 10, 15, and drawn the different positions uh, on a board or on the on the floor. On the floor works really well. And then you know physically got them to pick up those and place them on, on different parts and that's been something great for them but I think thank you that, yeah. that's really nice a great model
2: I can just uh, I can imagine um, in a team environment as well that kind of exercise could be really enlightening you know if there's some team members that say well when I say that I feel like I'm a victim mm. and somebody else saying well when I say that I feel like I'm in this role yeah. and um, this is this is kind of uh, linking back to what was the, the the lady's name was a Glenda. Glenda,
0: yeah. Glenda. Glenda Young
2: Glenda's work glenda O young's work and your your podcast with her and she's talking about the four truths and finding out i can't remember which layer it was now but when there's a team environment what's actually what's the real truth in that yeah. team environment that's right yeah,
0: yeah you you've actually made it into a nice training game that we can use with groups and yeah that's that's, a, that's an interesting thing to take away with and then layer it with the four truths and you know it's quite possible as a coach and as you're speaking i'm just thinking about this as a facilitator of course my my facilitator brain is running now but as a facilitator or as a coach the way we make meaning of a particular sentence and the way a person is making meaning of that sentence may be very different and that's her or his subjective truth and say hey you know what I don't think this lies over here I think it lies somewhere else you may see it lying somewhere else yeah. I see it lying somewhere else and then I think that's an interesting discussion
2: yeah I'm sure that would uncover a lot of valuable information
0: yeah, and, and then exploring the stories behind that and then you know where are you coming from what's the script what are some of the triggers i i, I think that that would be yeah it would make an interesting yeah. conversation Andrew. we're drawing to a close and just have a few mm-hmm. rapid fire round questions for you first one very quickly andrew of today andrew of 10 years ago what's the advice the andrew of today would give the andrew of let's say what 2010 2011 put a date to it
2: yeah um sure i so the advice would be um engage in the colbus learning cycle get get as, get around the cycle as much as you can so within that it's the something about permission to experiment go get messy go get it wrong um because there's only going to be learning and value from that
0: thanks next up what book would you recommend to fellow coaches and you could do this in a couple of ways, either people becoming coaches or just stepping into the game, or people stepping into the game of becoming a coach supervisor. what What would you recommend as a read?
2: The very first coaching book that I read was Coactive Coaching. Um, and coaching. that was that was that was really significant in um, laying the foundation of my philosophy of coaching. So that, that's mm-hmm. that's a great read. It's a modality that really encourages integration and uh, in approach. Yeah. Active yeah. coaching.
0: All right. I've heard about it. Haven't read it. Um,
2: yeah. It's also, it's available as an audio book as well. So and it's a nice, it's a nice listen. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably good to have both on hand though if you're going to listen to it. And before you um, answer that, I'm
0: also uh, before you say say something else, I'm just going to interrupt and say if there's any podcast. That you could suggest for fellow coaches, that would be super. Because I, I remember yeah, you, you, you listen to a lot of podcasts, so yeah,
2: nice. yeah. The other books that come to mind. So the, uh, this is an oldie but a goodie, Stephen Covey's book, uh, First Things First. Um, so it's one of the habits of his uh, Seven Habits. Um, but then they he wrote him and his team wrote an expanded book mm-hmm. on it, First Things First. It's a it's people probably know of it as a time management book, but it. It's an experiential book. If I uh, if really I could pushes. ask him,
0: if you could recall, what's one or two things? Of course, I'm thinking Kavi put your big rocks first. I have read the Seven Habits, but I haven't read this one. So, um, yeah. what what stands out for you from the book, if you can recollect that?
2: Yeah. So they they t- they the first part section of the book is um, it's trying to it helps kind of give you a shake and re- reframe and have a better perspective of life. Mm-hmm. And saying, life isn't about time management. Um, it's really focusing on this thing that if you don't have enough time to do something, you don't have enough focus on your priorities. And so it it does that. And then also it, it challenges, you, challenges you to think more holistically about yourself as a, an individual and how you in, uh, interact with the world. Um, it gives you some really nice um, exercises to build the the fundamental human capacities that they call them and then from there it builds onto a nice framework of how to think about managing your time in an integrative way but so there's there's so there's there's two significant parts to this book first for me is the shake shaking up and getting you to really focus on on what's important for you in your life Um, and then the the latter part is the a nice framework of nice looking framework. at integrative um, time management, but um, but for me the beginning part is the most important part.
0: I'm going to go out and read this one, yeah, certainly, certainly,
2: yeah. I was just thinking about another book. I can't think of the other one now. It comes to me, I'll let but you know.
0: Is there a podcast that you could recommend to people?
2: Yeah, um, so there are uh, like you like you mentioned, there are quite a few podcasts that I listen to at the moment. So there's mo- Modern Wisdom and um, mm-hmm. Who is hosted by chris williamson there's a, so there's a youtube channel and then it's also available on all modern podcasts, wisdom. Okay. Modern, modern wisdom um what he does is he interviews um uh, far and wide pe- people um and he is really ginned up with the work that he that the person that is interviewing is really ginned up on what they do and they do a deep dive in into the the work that they're doing so they speak very specifically to that person's um expertise but then he also challenges them to speak widely so it's really um it's fascinating to listen to i suppose similarly in that that context uh there's two others that come to mind. There's one, um, uh, Brett Weinstein. Um, and his, So his YouTube channel is called Brett Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, but the podcast is called The Dark Horse. The dark um, okay. Yeah. So there's a, Brett will interview people and then um, Brett and his wife um, Heather um, I can never remember her surname they have a weekly um, podcast that they discuss current current events um, mm. so I, I really enjoy that their approach to discussing things and then the, the final one under this umbrella is uh, Jordan Peterson mm. um, so close. he's a, a Canadian psychologist um, he can be in certain circles uh, he's kind of frowned upon but my encourage encouragement is to to give him a listen he come um, at times he can come across as quite um forceful in his views yeah. um but that his force comes from passion and also a significant amount of work that he's done behind oh, those wow. views so he's not just grasping stuff out of thin air he's done oh. significant work around it um, there's, a,
0: there's a huge body of work behind that and i think just evidenced by the fact if you just take take a look at his book list that he's um, prescribed on his it's about 100 books and uh wow i mean yeah. each and every book is a is a gem on that book yeah. list of is, so you can download it as a pdf yeah
2: that was a great reminder because the other book that i was thinking of was victor frankl's book hmm. um is it a man's a man search for meaning it had been on my radar for a far too long and I eventually decided to read it and it's a great read
0: I must confess Um, halfway through that book I just said to and I feel a little there's a little guilt now halfway through that book I said I can't complete this book it's an amazing book but it's getting too much for me. and just yesterday I heard somebody else talk on a podcast and talk about Viktor Frankl. It's, it's an amazing book. It's a thin book, Man Search for Meaning. And, and I think it's in two parts. Logotherapy, right? Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah that's that's eventually what his work culminated yeah. in was uh, logotherapy. Therapy, yeah. Logotherapy, yeah.
0: But I, 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 I got to read. I got to complete this. I'm halfway through it and I put it down years back. Yeah, 10 years back. I, I want to go back and I want to revisit that. So, so good. In closure, Andrew, is there any message you'd like to leave for um, our fellow coaches out there?
2: Supposed to to bang, bang the drum more. It's trust the process and and make sure that you get as many cycles on Cobb's learning cycle as possible um, to take the cycle from something like this into something that does this in your life
0: the drum more, Andrew. Thank you once yeah. again for making time. And um, I'm just going to say this: uh, looking for. And I, 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 I'm not just saying this; I'm, I mean this. Uh, looking forward to having you on the show sometime. Thanks a lot, Andrew. This has been amazing. I've learned so much, and I'm sure our viewers will also learn so much from uh, from the show. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. <laughs>